Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today is Easter Sunday where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're continuing our sermon series, Easter in the First Person. Today we hear the story of the first person in history to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Join us now for the message, Mary Magdalene, Now I Know How to Love Him. Good morning and welcome to Easter Sunday here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. We are so happy that you have come to worship with us today, whether you're here in our sanctuary or you're watching us online over Facebook Live. Sometimes we can hear voices and sometimes we don't know whether those voices are good for us or bad for us. But sometimes we'll hear a voice that's calling our name. And so we will hear that voice hopefully later on in the service. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, beginning with the first verse. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went towards the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cross that had been on cloth had, that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said, They have taken my Lord away, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabunai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of God for the people of God. I don't remember a lot about my youth. Most of the memories come and go. The memories that I do have are often clouded, and most of them are painful. I remember my parents taking me to one doctor after another to relieve my suffering, but the conclusion was always the same. She was possessed by demons. There was nothing that could be done. Healing demon possession was beyond the capabilities of the physicians. My name is Mary, and I'm from the village of Magdala. 
Magdala lies on the northwest coast of the Sea of Galilee. We're, the only, we're only a few miles from the fishing village of Capernaum, and that's where he lives. But I don't want to get too far ahead of my story. The demons encased in my body tormented me relentlessly. There were times when I felt so sad and helpless that I wanted to die. Once I walked out far from the shore of the Sea of Galilee to where my feet would no longer touch the bottom. I wanted the waves to take me away. At the time, killing my body seemed to be the only way of killing the demons. But a fishing boat found me before I could banish those demons, and they brought me home. And I remember my mother crying relentlessly into the night. Sometimes the demons took over my hands, and they made me take a knife and cut my flesh. They always made me cut myself where my wounds would be covered up by my clothing, so my parents never suspected. I know it sounds strange, but I often felt better after the cutting. But afterwards, I would always be filled with shame. The village of Magdala is known in the region for processing fish caught in the Sea of Galilee. Fishermen sell their fresh feet, uh, their fresh fish as much as they can to themselves. Then they sell what's left over to the fish processors in Magdala. There the fish is cut and dried and it's salted in order to preserve it. The fish processors have grown rich selling dried fish throughout the region. You see, dried fish, can, can, they can last for months. And so pilgrims often take dried fish with them to sustain them on their journeys. My father was one of the most successful fish processors in town. The wealth that the fish generated allowed my parents to afford one doctor after another in search of a cure. But the treatments and the medicine were useless. They're useless against the work of demons. But since I was their only child, they never stopped trying. They kept up the false hope that if they just threw enough money at the problem, that I could be healed of my demons and my parents could be healed of their obsessive worry. Now, of course, no family wants their children to marry into a family that's populated with demons. So there was not a single young man in the village who wanted to marry me. No father came forward to arrange a marriage between their sons and myself. So having no siblings and now having no husband, my parents despaired of what would ever happen to me if they were gone. And I too, I lived in fear of losing my parents because how would I ever be able to manage? But then the unthinkable happened. A plague came to the region and took my mother and my father while I remained free of disease. After my parents' death, I just wanted to die. I wanted the plague to take me too. But I guess the demons living inside my body prevented the plague demons from entering my body. You see, if I died, there'd be no place for them to go. I became mad with grief. Thankfully, the long-term manager of my father's fish processing business stayed on and just kept the business going. And some of the women in the village, friends of my parents, they, they took care of me best that they could. Or at least that's what I've been told, because I don't really remember very much of it. I was so mired in madness and grief 
that I don't remember things that happened even months after my parents died. When I was lucid, I liked to go to the weekly synagogue services on the Sabbath. I found the prayers calming and the reading of scriptures would sometimes cut through the voices of the demons in my head. So that sometimes, sometimes I felt like I could hear the voice of God telling me to hold on and that help was on the way. About a year after the death of my parents, I was sitting in the synagogue service when a man I had never met stood up to read from the Torah. I don't even remember what he read. I just remember this feeling of indescribable peace that came over me as I heard his voice. He then sat down to teach, and I hung on his every word. And I suddenly realized that this was the first time I could ever remember where I did not hear the voices of the demons in the back of my head. Who was this man? The next day, some of this man's followers came to our stall to buy some dried fish. And I learned that this man and his followers traveled throughout the Galilee teaching the people and healing everyone who was broken in body and spirit. Well, if there was anyone who felt broken in body and spirit, it was me. And I begged them to take me to their teacher. But as I spoke, I could see him coming down the street. And so I ran to him and I fell at his feet and I begged him to heal me. I remember he got down on one knee and he took my face into his hands. And then he looked me deeply in the eyes. And I realized people hardly ever did look me in the eyes. They usually would divert their eyes or... They would look at me at eyes filled with pity or disgust or both. Either way, it felt like people just didn't see me. But when he looked into my eyes, I could see that his eyes were just filled with compassion and determination. And I felt his gaze penetrate my soul and I wanted to look away, but he wouldn't let me. As he continued to hold my face and look into my eyes, he ordered the demons to leave my body. And at that moment, my body was racked with exquisite pain. I could hear myself screaming. It felt as if someone was reaching into my abdomen and pulling out all my intestines. And though this probably only lasted a minute, it felt like I was on that road for hours. And when it was all over, I just collapsed to the ground. Jesus then took me by the hand and helped me get up. And I looked around and everyone was just standing there staring at me. But just like the day before in the synagogue, I immediately realized that the voices of the demons had been silenced. Then I realized I didn't even feel their presence anymore. And so just like that, they were gone. And I was told later that Jesus said he had healed me of seven demons. I'd like to say that I was never sad or ashamed ever again, but that wouldn't be true. But it is true that the voices were gone for good. And I never again felt that compulsion to cut myself. My mind was finally clear, and it stayed clear. I found out that my healer's name was Jesus. He and his followers often came to Magdala to, to buy the dried fish to sustain them as they journeyed through Galilee. And I insisted that they always come to my stall, and I never charged them for the fish. As months passed and my mind was still clear, I felt compelled to help Jesus in his ministry. 
as an only child, when my parents died, I inherited the fish business. It made good money, and my father's long-term manager could run that business just fine without me. So I started to subsidize Jesus' ministry. And whenever I could, I went to travel with him as he went from village to village. I was one of several well-off women who had decided to support Jesus and his followers. Two of the others were named, one was Joanna and one was Susanna, and the three of us became best friends. I'd never had friends before, and it was wonderful. You see, most of the time in our society, women are just known by who they're related to. They're the daughter or the wife or the mother of so-and-so. Well, I had no parents, no husband, and no children. So I became known as Mary of Magdala, or Mary Magdalene. Those years spent traveling with Jesus, Joanna, Susanna, those were the best years of my life. I had a family again. And this was a family that was filled with brothers and sisters and friendship and purpose. And who was Jesus in this family? Was he like our father? Or was he more like our older brother? And then what was he to me? Of the women who subsidized the ministry, I was the only one who was single. My feelings toward Jesus were complicated from the very beginning. Now, of course, I was grateful to be healed, but it was more than that. He was the first person to ever look me in the eyes with a gaze that penetrated my soul. His words were mesmerizing. I could listen to him teach or look on as he healed the people for hours, and I never grew tired of watching him. I knew I loved him, but was I in love with him? I was never sure. I just knew that I had to be there and support him in any way that I could. And as I heard more and more of Jesus' teachings and saw him heal, I don't know how many broken people, I began to ask myself if Jesus just might be that long-awaited-for Messiah. Others also began to whisper their speculations as well. But before we could ever decide, it just all came crashing down. When we were in Jerusalem for the Passover, Jesus got arrested and condemned to death by crucifixion. If the last three years had been the happiest years of my life, then the day I watched him die was the worst day of my life. Now, all of Jesus' male followers scattered for fear of being arrested themselves. And so it was us women who stayed with him until the end. In a world that was run by men, women were not considered to be threats. We could stay close by without arousing suspicion. Women don't have many advantages in our society, but that day, we were grateful for our invisibility. Jesus died before the day was over. Joseph of Arimathea asked for his body and buried him hastily before the Sabbath began at sunset. The other women and I watched as the stone was rolled over the entrance of the tomb, and then we hurried back to where we were staying. That night and all the next day, all of us disciples, the men and women, stayed in the house, alternating between talking about everything that had happened and then weeping until we just had no tears left to weep. And there were times that day when I thought I could hear this faint 
echo of all those old demons in my head. But thankfully, they remained echoes, and then they faded away. The next morning, some of the other women and I went to the tomb to finish anointing the body for burial. When we arrived, the stone had been rolled away, and Jesus' body was gone. We stared at the empty tomb, trying to comprehend what had happened. Were we at the right tomb? Had his body been moved? If so, by whom? We ran back as fast as we could to tell the others, and I smashed open the door, and I exclaimed, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter and John just stood and looked at us for a moment, and then without saying a word, they flew out the door, just sprinting toward the tomb. And the others just started questioning us. Are we sure we went to the right tomb? Did you see anybody else in the area? Who might have a motive for stealing his body? Well, I couldn't take it anymore, so I decided to go back to the tomb. By that time, Peter and John, I guess they had been there and already left. And all I could do was just stand there and weep, because nothing made sense. Where was the body? Why would anyone take it away? Wasn't it bad enough that they'd already killed him, and now they'd desecrate his body as well? I stepped inside the tomb once more, and there were two men sitting there. And at first, I thought it was, it was Peter and John, but, but these two men were dressed in dazzling white, and they looked nothing like them. They asked me why I was weeping. Well, how could I not be weeping? They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. I turned to leave, but then I ran right into the gardener, and he asked me, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Why did everyone keep asking me that question? Wasn't it obvious? I said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. Then I heard my name, and this voice sounded so familiar, but I couldn't place it. But I knew that the sound filled me with calmness. Just for a second, I feared that it was a voice of one of those old demons come back to haunt me to madness. But those demon voices never filled me with anything resembling calmness. I looked up and I wiped the tears from my eyes so I could focus, and again he called me by name. As I looked at the gardener, the gardener finally came into focus, and I began to see the familiar curve of his face and that special smile that he, that he kept just for those he loved the most. It was Jesus. But how could that be? I had watched him die. I stared and said nothing for what seemed like an eternity. Then a part of me that could no longer hold onto my doubts, the part of me that wanted nothing more than to hold on to this man I'd loved for years, that part of me cried out, teacher. And I ran forward and I clung to him. I was determined never to let him go again, to never again let pain crush his body or mar his beautiful face. To take him back to Galilee and once again walk from village to village with all my best friends, with my family. At that moment, I wanted more than anything just for our lives to go back the way they were. What he said to me next was almost incomprehensible. Do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, 
I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. And then he gently pulled my hands from clinging to him, and once more he looked at me with that look of compassion and determination that I saw those years ago in Magdala when he healed me in body and spirit. Then he slipped away. I don't know exactly how, but I looked and then I was standing alone in the garden. I turned to go back to the others, but I did not run. I walked slowly and calmly, just going over in my mind what it was like to hear his voice and to hold him close and then to have to let him go. When I returned, I came into the house and I said simply, I have seen the Lord. I told them all that had happened. Some refused to believe. Others, I don't think, knew what to think. But over the next few weeks, Jesus appeared to us many times, and we all came to realize that indeed Jesus had been raised from the dead. I spent years going over and over in my mind what happened in that garden. And it took me years to realize the wisdom of Jesus' words. You see, I wanted to hold on to Jesus and for us to all go back to Galilee, to the life we had before. But if we had done that, then the message of Jesus would have never have spread through Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the whole world. In Galilee, hundreds of lives were touched by Jesus. But by ascending to the Father and sending the Holy Spirit to inaugurate the church, thousands and thousands of lives have been touched by Jesus. It seems as there's no end to how far this message of Jesus is going to spread. The Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ continues to touch lives that are broken and in pain and restores these lives in a new life, in a new creation. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can all experience resurrection, both in our own lives now and forward into eternity. We often just need to let go of the old lives, to quit holding on to what we think our lives should be and to open our hearts to the new life that is being offered to us. Now, I still love Jesus in a way that's never been duplicated. But I love him now from afar. And that has opened up my heart to love so many others. I still meet people who are haunted by old demons. Only now I'm the strong one. I'm the strong one that can look them in the eye and see all the beauty that's there in their souls. And it's now my hands that touch them and bring them healing and release. As Jesus said to me, don't hold on to the way things were. Instead, embrace resurrection. And you're going to be able to say, just as I did to the others, I have seen the Lord. Amen. This is something I'm very excited about. This last few weeks, uh, some of the clergy have been wondering what it is that we can do to make uh, the United Methodist Church, and particularly our North Texas Conference, to be more inclusive and to more fully fulfill the dream that we have that all God's children are welcome here in our churches. And so many of you may be aware that the, um, the, the traditionalist split-off church, the Global Methodist Church, they're launching on May 1st, just here in a few weeks. Um, 
We're not sure which churches are going to go with them or not. There are a few, a handful of churches here in our conference that are contemplating it, but only a few. I think the vast majority here in the North Texas Conference of the congregations here are going to decide to stay in the United Methodist Church and then to go forward with then being fully inclusive and that inclusivity than including all of our LGBTQ siblings. And so, to order to make this uh, more real to us, we were thinking, this is a group of clergy, what we wanna do is even though the unjust laws are still technically in our book of discipline, what we would like to do is to go forward, at least here in this conference, and have an understanding and a covenant between the North Texas United Methodists that we are not going to enforce those unjust laws and that we are, that, that first of all, LGBTQ clergy do not have to uh, possibly be subject to disciplinary action, nor clergy that perform, uh, officiate um, LGBTQ weddings, and that also that everyone just feels welcome here in our church. And so we decided to write up a covenant and to send it out, it's launching today, and we want every United Methodist lay or clergy to sign this covenant between now and annual conference, which starts the first week of June. This is going to be right after the worship service. I'm posting this to our Facebook page. Uh, sign it, share it with your friends and your colleagues and any, any Methodist you can think of, share this covenant. And I would like to also add that it has been my great privilege to have written the covenant. And I was just so complimented by my clergy colleagues that they trusted me to do this. And so it's out there now, and um, I have no idea what our own bishop thinks of it. <laughs> we'll see. But anyway, that's gonna, I'm going to be posting that, and we're calling it the a Covenant of Hope for the Future of the North Texas Conference. And now let us, with the confidence that we have as the children of God, pray the prayer that our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth that is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I want to remind you that you can always find a recording of our service on our website, tumcd.org, on our Facebook page, or through our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. And so now our benediction. We have seen the Lord this day. Now go into the world and spread this good news, that God is good. And all the time. And may you be blessed by the Lord our God, and may you be a blessing to everyone you meet in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope you enjoyed and were blessed by today's service. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 o'clock. Next Sunday, we continue our sermon series, Easter in the First Person, with the story of two disciples who met the Lord on the road to Emmaus. You'll find recordings of all our services on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. Remember, we're now worshiping both in person in our sanctuary as well as online. God bless you in the week ahead. We'll see you Sunday 
at Trinity United Methodist Church.